Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Unblock Your Fireplace, chapter by chapter, is coming flu. Whoa, what wordplay, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. Can we make that the seven-word summary? (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, someway. This week, we're discussing chapter four, Back to the Burrow. But first, a couple of quick reminders. Micah, Quizich Live is coming up. Yeah, Quizage Live is coming later on this week, next Saturday, October the 28th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. I know we're all very excited to be bringing this back. This is something we all enjoy doing. Our best Alex Trebek, Ken Jennings, Mayim Bialik impression, impersonations, I should say. It's something that during the pandemic was, I think, important for us and important for our listeners We really enjoy doing it. We enjoy giving away prizes. So this edition, I know we've talked about it on previous episodes. It's going to be a little bit Halloween themed with the Wizarding World candy and with James and Lily, but the main focus of it is on owls, OWLs, charms, potions, transfiguration, and defense against the dark arts. Do not study anything other than those subjects. Don't waste your time because there's not going to be any questions on those other subjects, just those. Uh, And shout out to Nicole H for coming up with the questions. She's a longtime listener of the show going all the way back to 2005. And there's also going to be the Wizarding World candy in the James and Lily category. So maybe study up there too, if you want. But yeah, this is always a lot of fun. We'll have more info posted on social media. So you can tune in live and participate. Do you guys remember HQ? How everyone would tune in, you know, each yeah, yeah. for that. It, it was it was so. This is like that level of like interactivity and fun. Except like you're part of our group when you can go live, and 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 when you're listening at home later, you can still have all the fun that we're having. You know, kind of talking about Harry Potter trivia. It's just it's just always a good time. And in our version of live trivia, you'll win more than a nickel if you actually win the game. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever won a nickel. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Also, just a reminder, visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and to contact us. And visit Patreon.com slash MuggleCast if you want to support the show and receive early access to the show, ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, yearly physical gifts, and much more. Actually, speaking of bonus episodes, we're doing two a month, and we're recording two right after this episode. Eric, first, what's on tap from you? Well, Andrew, we have each received a prestigious invitation for a Halloween ball at Malfoy Manor. It's been 19 years since the events of Book 7, so don't worry, the place is kind of chill. And we're going to be designing our own Wizarding World Halloween costumes, but we're using magic because we're all witches and wizards. So the sky is the limit. We're each going to pick a cool outfit, and we'll be hearing from patrons also uh, who had the same prompt. And then, Laura, you're bringing back a bonus MuggleCast that we did a few weeks ago. We had so much fun with it. So we're doing another installment. Yeah, we're doing a second installment of Harry Potter headcanons where we propose uh, some of our favorite interpretations of what might have been going on behind the scenes, maybe not on the page from Harry's perspective, um, but ultimately things that don't break canon, but that still add depth to the story. This ended up being a really popular installment of Bonus MuggleCast when we did it. So we decided, let's do a second edition. And uh, who knows, maybe this will be a recurring theme. It should be because 
sky's the limit with this segment, I think. Yeah. So those will both be available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast in the next couple of weeks. You can listen to all of our bonus audio content and add free MuggleCast and early access to MuggleCast through your favorite podcast apps, by the way. It was just this one-time setup uh, after you pledge on Patreon. All right. With that, let's get to chapter by chapter. And this week, we're discussing chapter four of Goblet of Fire, Back to the Burrow. And we'll start with our seven-word summary. Arthur attempts to help with Dudley's tongue. Hey, we did it. (laughs) We did uh, last week. We did two chapters in a row because uh, they were kind of short and to the point. This one is also kind of short and to the point. But I thought it was worth uh, saving this this episode for just this chapter because I wanted to detail out all of the egregious offenses that the Weasleys uh, visit upon the Dursleys. And there are so many things, I think, that we're going to be discussing about how this whole situation need not have happened and was needlessly cruel to everyone's favorite nicest muggles in the world. Vernon, Petunia, and Dudley. And Eric tends to be a pretty big Weasley fanboy. So for him to come out with this list of offenses, I think is pretty (laughs) shocking. Just Ginny. Well, yes, Ginny is spared from this criticism. The first offense I want to talk about is not just sending a single delegate. So we're trying to get Harry to the borough and he's going to have a great extra two weeks, you know, in the wizarding world from what he normally would because they have the Quidditch World Cup. So why is it that Arthur, Ron, Fred, and George all need to come when it's just a simple, somebody could come through, give him some flu powder, Harry, come with us. The Dursleys are just three people. They're already apprehensive about magic. Everyone knows it. Why would there be more than two Weasleys coming to get Harry? And we know in the next chapter, Fred and George force their way in, but like, It shouldn't even be the kids. Ron already knows what Harry looks like. Like, there's no point for Ron to be there. Arthur should have brought Molly. Sending the parents would have been the formal thing to do. Remember the chapter, The Invitation? is like The proper thing. The proper thing. The proper thing. Especially if they're trying to make a good impression on these people who are predisposed to dislike wizards. Right. I mean, that's the key factor there, that they are already very hesitant to be around wizards. They are repulsed by them. It stresses them out. They're afraid they're going to attack. So Arthur needs to get control of his kids, see Fred and George, and (laughs) not let them go. Because he probably sensed this, too. He shouldn't bring a bigger group to pick up Harry. It does make sense to me, though, that Ron is there because he's Harry's friend. Yeah. So naturally, Arthur would take Ron along with him. Fred and George, however, saw an opportunity to create a little bit of havoc. And I think they pounced on that opportunity and decided to come along with Arthur in this case. Yeah. Or why not just like, okay, so it's Ron, Arthur, and Molly, and Arthur and Molly wait on the roof, and Ron goes down the chimney by himself, or, you know, just knocks on the door, which will... Like he's Santa Claus or something? <laughs> <laughs> That's not how the flu network works. Arthur and Molly are the reindeer. I'm just trying to think of a less <laughs> intrusive way for them to get through while still using the chimney. Oh, there's some AI 
I'll work on that for you, Andrew. <laughs> Molly the red haired reindeer. <laughs> oh, wow, God. that's really good. Well, wow, we're we're two months early for this, but oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if this would have gone any better if Arthur had brought Molly, certainly from the perspective of nobody dropping you know, magic candy on the ground for Dudley to get, right? But I feel like Molly, if anything, is even less knowledgeable about muggle culture and could have potentially contributed to things getting more awkward between all of them. I don't know. I mean, the fact that she even refers in her letter uh, to you know, Harry needing to send his response back the normal way. I just think about what her filter would have been in front of the Dursleys. And I don't know that she would have had one. I think Arthur at least tries. That's true. Uh, When Arthur kind of defends, you know, kind of makes Vernon say goodbye to the boy, uh, Molly wouldn't have let that sit. She would have gone further than that with them mm-hmm. it's also important to remember though that arthur has experience with muggles as opposed to molly going off of what you're saying laura so arthur may know how to read the room a little bit better not totally because things get out of control but it, it also raises a question that i had a little bit later on but why would the weasleys not let harry know how they were going to show up <laughs> That seems like a big miss that causes a lot of chaos when they decide to pop through the fireplace. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. Yeah. They probably just again assumed that Harry would know how they were going to arrive because he's been in the wizarding world. He's familiar with their forms of travel, but what they're not accounting for is that Harry spent the first eleven years of his life thinking he was a muggle. Right. So I imagine when he goes back to the Dursleys, there's a a different part of his brain that is on. It's his muggle brain because he knows he's there. He can't use magic. Things are not going to be like they are in the other world where he spends 90% of his time. And because the Weasleys have no frame of reference for that, they don't even think to bring it up to him. So. And I mean, a theory we go back to time and time again is that wizards just love chaos. Harry says it himself, <laughs> you know, about Hogwarts a chapter wizards. or two ago. We mean Dumbledore, but yes. Yeah, wizards. Well, just everybody doesn't seem to mind. Nobody seems to mind the chaos if you're a wizard. It's Dumbledore just like- is totally watching from outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's my headcanon. He's just had tea with Mrs. Fig. Yeah, we'll put that in the bonus. Yeah, the second offense I want to talk about, and this leans a little bit more toward Fred and George, but I think in general, the the being insensitive to Dudley's trauma. Dudley has trauma. Dudley in this chapter is shown multiple times to be grabbing his own backside, uh, rubbing his backside. He remembers, as it turns out, this time when he had a pig's tail, when Hagrid tried to turn him into a whole pig and it failed. So, you know, in fact, this book actually talks about how the Dursleys had to go to a private hospital uh, to have that tail removed. Look, Dudley does not, and for good reason, have a, you know, liking for wizards. Have, have He doesn't feel safe around them. 
Look at what happened last time for no reason. So it's just unfortunate that the Weasleys would show up and use like so much magic. They're capable of muggle transit. They drove a car to the borough last time and they flew a car. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just using magic, arriving by magic. I know they can't predict the fireplace will be boarded up, but I think that there was a better way to more calmly. I mean, again, everything everyone knows about the Dursleys is they don't like magic is like try and arrive in a more normal way. That's why the invitation was sent through the post and not by Owl, because they already knew enough to know the Dursleys don't like magic. So showing up using all this magic, not to mention what Fred and George do to Dudley on purpose is very insensitive to Dudley's trauma. Yeah. Can we just talk? You mentioned the fireplace. You mentioned trauma. Just wanted to bring up the fact that, as you alluded to, it is boarded up. So there's an additional layer of some kind of trauma that exists here on the part of Vernon and Petunia because they have assumingly not let their fireplace operate as a normal fireplace since Sorcerer's Stone. They have an electric one in front of it. <laughs> yeah, like you're right. That's a that's a sign of trauma. Like they don't they don't feel safe in their own home while their fireplace remains unboarded. There's many good reasons to have an electric fireplace, though. No smoke, energy efficient, save money, low maintenance. Anyone can enjoy an electric fireplace. Are you reading that, Andrew? Who are our sponsors this week? <laughs> I googled benefits of electric fireplace oh, okay. <laughs> besides blocking wizards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's a bonus for the Dursleys if they were trying to. Uh, no, sorry, but I, I didn't mean to throw off your question. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. To, to get back to it, I think I read this chapter and really thought like Dudley is a victim in this chapter and has been a victim before. He shouldn't have gotten that tail. That was unfair. And his parents are the ones that are enabling his bad behavior. He didn't need to be raised this way. So I just, I feel, I feel bad for Dudley in this chapter. Yeah, his parents definitely set him up for failure. An interesting interpretation I had of this, though, it's not to say that Dudley isn't traumatized or that this wasn't horrible for him, but just kind of zooming out and thinking about the total landscape, the Weasleys don't know about the pigtail from three years ago. Again, that doesn't justify anything, but it's knowledge that they don't have, I believe. And I do read this through the lens of culture shock in a way, because I think we've all probably experienced this at one point or another, whether we were in another country or otherwise immersed in another culture Things that may seem obvious to all of us based on our cultural understanding may be the complete opposite if you step into someone else's home. And I think that's what's happening here. I didn't have this interpretation originally reading the book, I think because they're all British. So to an extent, I wasn't thinking about the idea of culture shock, but them being British is almost secondary to them being wizards versus them being muggles, which I think is just, it's a really interesting read on the situation because you can see the Dursleys for all of their flaws, they are trying to put 
their best foot forward in the only way they know how. Arthur is trying to put his best foot forward in the only way he knows how. And it's just not working. I think it's clear that Fred and George do tip the scale into disaster from slight discomfort. So there's there is at least that where you're right, they're putting their best feet forward. I'll also say it's a really great point of like, this didn't necessarily come across when we were younger and reading this is like, it does just seem like yeah, culture's like now I'm like, oh my God, the Weasleys are awful. <laughs> but I had this thought too. Well, especially when it comes to just like how Fred and George treated Dudley, like I, as a kid, you read this and you're like, ha ha prank. And that's the yeah. type of thing like you see in school maybe. And you don't think about how that would actually affect the person who the plank is prank is being played on. Mm-hmm. But now you read it as an adult and with hindsight and getting older, you're like, whoa, that was actually really, really, really mean. And it, you know, as a kid, it's entertaining. As an adult, it's disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you could make the same point too about Sorcerer's Stone and what Hagrid does. Yeah, it, we we look past it because Dudley is getting into Harry's birthday cake, and so oh, let's punish Dudley for just wanting to do what he's always done because his his parents have enabled him in that way. But really, you could look at Dudley as being a victim in that chapter as well. You know, both Dudley and Harry are victims of the Dursleys in very different ways. And Dudley, he gets his fair share, whether it's book one, it's in this book, it's in the next book with the Dementors. Like he he does take quite a beating physically and emotionally in this series. That's a great point. And viewing this through the lens of culture shock, you know, and I, I think of culture shock, I think of like, oh, you go to that friend's house and you're asked to take your shoes off, right? And you're like, oh, but I wear shoes all around my house, which is disgusting. You should never do it. Um, <laughs> but but you know how that was like a big thing. I feel yeah. like it came in vogue where it's like, wait, what? Take my shoes off out front. It's like the difference between when they arrive and the fireplace is boarded up. Mr. Weasley's just like, wait a minute, why? Who Who would board up what? How does that? And you're right. It's not really necessarily even a normal response to <laughs> what happened because uh, I love this note in the doc. Like, why didn't they board up the windows? Why didn't they, like the letters were? Yeah, coming in, where, where does it the end? The eggs. It, mm-hmm. But because the fireplace is boarded up, that leads to that additional level of culture shock. To your point, Laura, because he has to essentially blow open the fireplace, get the living room completely dirty. He's got to reset a fire in the hearth for them to be able to get back. So all these things happen where as if the Dursleys had just not chosen to board up the fireplace because of their own you know, biases initially, Arthur would have probably made a little bit of a different entrance. It still would have been culture shock, but I don't know if it would have been as intense. Yeah. Well, because to Arthur and, and to a wizard, they think about making a huge mess like that. It's not a big deal because you can just use magic to clean it up real quick. But that's not a reality for a muggle, right? Petunia is looking at that being like, oh, my God, I have to clean all of this up. Yeah, she's thinking of the physical labor that she's going to. Yeah. And it's little white dust. If anyone's ever (laughs) damaged their wall, that dust goes everywhere. Yeah. I don't even think a reparo can get it all. Um, So this third offense, by the way, there are five. uh, Andrew agrees with me. Uh, the Dursley, it's showing up late AF. Okay. The Dursleys try as they might to be as ready as they can 
are ready to receive the Weasleys at 4.45 for a five o'clock appointment. They're dressed nicely. The house is pristine. Harry's stuff has been packed up since noon. And yet, it isn't until 5.30, 45 minutes after they're ready, 5.30, that the commotion behind the fireplace starts. So I think it's safe to say that the Weasleys were not on time. This is an egregious offense against everyone. And they really had one shot at this and they blew it. I hate when people are late. And I think we need to ask ourselves, are the Weasleys the type of people who are perpetually late to things? I don't think there's a ton to suggest this in the text, but maybe they are. And it wouldn't surprise me with such a big family. There's well, a lot of people to get ready. A lot of yeah. fires to be putting out throughout the day. And yet magic helps. Like a port key is timed. You have a <laughs> right. timed window. So you can't possibly be late or you'll miss the port key. In fact, I think that's the whole thing a few chapters from now. So it's like, yeah. you know, it, it, it. they're probably not always late. Yeah. Look, I get it. Like when they arrived behind the fireplace, it wasn't expected that it was blocked. But they didn't spend 30 minutes, you know, stuck behind the fireplace or they would have heard them sooner. They were late. They just showed up. I don't know what they were doing. I know their clock doesn't really show time. Their clock shows where they are. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, but I mean, this is an important meeting. They know the Dursleys are going to be expecting them on time. And I know Molly and the Dursleys have seen each other, maybe Arthur too, prior on on the platform. Um, or, you know, outside of platform nine and three quarters. But this is effectively like a first meeting. This is an important meeting. And they need to they they need to make a good first impression. Yeah, I'll call that out as another culture shock moment, (laughs) to be honest with you, because there are absolutely cultures where this is very normal, where you establish, yeah, we're going to meet at five. And that really means we're meeting at six. (laughs) So. Again, not saying that nobody has a right to be annoyed by this because that's just all of our cultural norms, right? I don't like to be late for things and don't like to feel like I'm keeping people waiting. It does make me feel weird, but I will confess I'm pretty bad with time management. I hate being late. (laughs) Me too. Thank you for being vulnerable. I do hate being late. It gives me so much anxiety, and yet uh, I'm still late for things. Yeah, Laura, (laughs) it's been a sticking point over the years. Oh, no, I'm calling that out because it's been well documented, I feel. No, I don't think, I mean, when it comes to our (laughs) digital work, I don't think so. We don't see each other enough in person to to know (laughs) what you're like. (laughs) Okay, well, if we all ever, like, move into the same neighborhood together... You'll right. get to see it firsthand. I'm going to start telling you like, oh, come over at 4.30. So you actually come at the time I want you to, which is like 5 or 5.30. Yeah. Or something That's like that. That's move. <laughs> Learning a lot here today. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it just compounds it though, doesn't it? I mean, it's just adding to your list, Eric. I, now, I yeah. will say, I don't think 30 minutes is late AF. It's late, but mm. it's not super late. Well, I I put AF for an important meeting like this and no heads up. Usually you put AF in capitals and I put it in lowercase. I don't know if that makes it better. You just have to be able to read the room. And and we were talking about this earlier. The Weasleys just don't, at least Arthur, doesn't have enough information on the Dursleys and who they are and how they function as, as people and really how they treat Harry, what their worldviews are like. 
Arthur is doing everything wrong here. Not intentionally, but he's doing everything wrong. Yeah, and you hate to see it because you like to imagine, I know later we're going to be playing What If, but you like to imagine a world in which the Weasleys and Dursleys can at least exist in the same room without so much acrimony. But it's it's just so kind of hoity-toity when you hear Petunia say, well, of course they're late. They probably want to stay for dinner. <laughs> oh, that's oh, so- Oh, man. Well, and that's so funny because it's projecting your own Importance. shit on other people. Yeah, well, it's also like what Petunia might do. Like she's aware of that tactic because she's the kind mm. of person who just, she thinks that way is what I'm saying. So it's like really interesting- I don't know, the idea that they would have to feed the Weasleys is a whole nother thing. But here's here's really the the well, actually, they they these escalate these offenses I've written down because number five is even worse. But here's number four. Baiting Dudley. Fred and George know exactly what they're doing. They know that if they hand candy to a fat kid, he's still gonna be nervous about them and probably not take it. But if they oopsie drop candy which is exactly what happens after Fred and George get from taking Harry's trunk down from his bedroom. Oops. Oh, they know that all of the defenses are going to come down and Dudley is going to go grab the toffee, which is what happens. This baiting of Dudley is singly malicious, let alone what it does to him, but which is next. But just the baiting is the wrong attitude entirely. This goes beyond the prank. Yeah, and they're exploiting what they know about him being on a very restrictive diet, too. Ooh, that's right. Harry told them that just to get food. Yeah. Sent to him. And then Fred and George were like, we can play with this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit sinister. And it is. We know that Dudley has certain addictions, and one of them is definitely to sweets. And so I think this behavior by the twins is really feeding Dudley's addiction. It, it's tempting him in the moment to betray his diet and all the other things that he's doing, presumably, to try and get into better physical shape. And of course, he's happy to betray his diet. I mean, he, it's being How forced he? on him. He doesn't want it at all. Exactly. Yeah. That's why he's targeted. Is He's so calorie restricted right now. And then this food just drops on the carpet. And again, it's done so innocently. If they had given him the food, he would, you know, Vernon and Dursley would have, or Vernon and Petunia would have been like, no, Dudley, don't, you know, touch that. Do we remember from reading the chapter which one of the twins dropped the toffees? Uh, I'll look it up real quick, but I bet it was I Fred. Wanna, yeah, I, I think it was say, Fred. It ha- because that would match up with our previous conversations That's, about yep. the differences between Fred and George. Yeah, that yeah. was it. We did a great episode where it was like, what, how are they different? And Fred really is the instigator. Fred also always goes too far. It um, was Fred, by the way. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, he's the one that, you know, if, if there is a hard edge to the Weasley twins and they both do ridiculous things, but it's Fred. Yeah. So. And the behavior, though, is not inconsistent with what we see from these twins later on as they start to test their product on first year students. That's right. And Dudley is kind of the uh, the initial testing ground. And honestly, for, for Fred, it's kind of like leaving the scene of the crime because he doesn't even try and help Dudley. Is it just presumed no. that his tongue is going to unswell 
Well, and that's that's actually that puts Arthur in an impossible position, right? Um, Arthur guesses that the toffee is an engorgement charm, a simple engorgement charm. What if he's wrong, right? What if there's something a little special in there? Fred and George leave Arthur completely unprepared to have to rescue and save this muggle's life, basically. So that's bad on on them for what they do to their dad, too. And yeah. Well, in this... I think this is the moment that teaches them they need to have antidotes on hand, if I recall correctly. Mm. When they're testing on first years, they also go around and pass out the antidote candy to whatever it is they're testing. Um, But the fact that that wasn't even a thought here, especially considering that they were testing on a muggle, is definitely kind of sinister. Well, to that point of uh, Fred and George not sticking around also... Um, they are trying this on a muggle and muggles work a little differently with, um, you know, it's been said in the canon that muggles and potions, they could be poisoned actually trying mm-hmm. to take a potion. If you're, if you're a non-magical person taking a magic potion, it's not just that it won't affect you. It could be a poison. They, they could have unusual effects when they try it on fellow wizards and the students at school. That's actually fully different than trying it on Dudley. So there was an element there of extra danger that Fred and George just completely overlooked. So moving into the fifth and final offense, the actual result of the toffee uh, is extremely harsh. And I kept, you know, (laughs) we're a lot older now than when we first read these books. But now I read this chapter and I go, oh, God, what a way to go. (laughs) You know, your, Mm -hmm. your tongue growing to like the length of like four feet long it said coming out of your mouth like lick you a don't tongue. have a lot of that's kind of what i imagine. yeah like lick a tongue you don't <laughs> it's exactly like lick a tongue honestly yeah one thing i did take a little bit of a look at is sort of the symbolism of choking on one's own tongue and particularly in some native american cultures it represents the need to find one's voice and be true to oneself and i think that's very appropriate for dudley because I don't think that he knows who he is as any teenager wouldn't at this time. But I think in particular, being true to himself, um, I don't think he is. I, I think he's very much influenced at this stage by his parents. And we see that change, you know, by Deathly Hallows. So um just wanted yeah, I was to, say, to call that out. That's a great call out. I love that. You're your Deathly Hallows connection there is very good. And maybe this is something that could be explored more in the TV show, like more of Dudley's uh, hesitancy to just go with the flow with his parents, uh, given what we know about his brief chat with Harry in, in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Do we think that the Dursleys are making this worse than it needs to be? Yes. I mean, it's described <laughs> as Petunia like throws herself on top of Dudley and she's making him choke worse. She's That's a muggle kid, and watching though. her son's tongue like explode oh, 50 times in length. This is this is like her Joffrey death moment, right? Like oh, she's yes. she's freaking out. I understand. But the Dursleys do have a uh tendency over to overreact to things and make them worse. Now again, not justifying it happening, 
I'm just saying they're making it worse. They're in an impossible situation, though. Mm -hmm. The only person who can save Dudley is this person that they don't trust and have been given no reason to trust because see offenses one through four. Uh, You know, like (laughs) this man's child has just poisoned their child. Right. Like, yeah. What does that what does that say about this man? Right. And he's, you know, too bumbling to be able to like the, the twins greatest defense was actually against their dad, like I said, because he's got to clean this all up. It reflects negatively on his job working with muggles to Micah's point earlier. But I think also the characterization of this, this is why it kind of goes over our heads as a kid. It's like a fun scene. Don't the Dursleys suck? Yeah. But like the wording is like from the narrator at this moment is Harry didn't want to miss the fun. As Vernon is chucking ornaments at Mr. Weasley's head and they're shattering behind his head on the fireplace. Like, Harry didn't want to miss the fun? <laughs> that, that's completely not what's going on here. This is, their son is dying. Like, come yeah. on now. Well, and this is also a trauma response for Harry, I think, right? Because these are, this is a family of people who have abused him his entire life. So he's he's taking some pleasure yeah. in watching them suffer. It's like hell yeah, chaos in the Dursley living room. What can Harry <laughs> ask for more than that? Honestly, so for, yeah. from from the perspective yeah. of a fourteen year old, I get it, but it's also one of those situations where magic got Dudley into this situation. So magic is going to have to get him out of this situation it's not like and i was honestly Mm -hmm. surprised by the the pigtail being removed out of regular hospital i had always for some reason had in my head that he went to saint mungo's for that but again but again the dursleys don't trust wizards so even though wizards got him into this situation they're looking for any and all normal means what are they gonna do as we get into some little things and odds and ends, I'm reminded that I need to rescind my compliment to Gobble to Fire for not having any recap at the beginning of the book. Uh, we we actually got a lot of recap, and there's some more of it here. As Harry is packing his trunk to get ready for the Weasleys, we are reminded that some of his most prized possessions actually come from other people. His invisibility cloak he got from his dad, his latest broom he got from his godfather, and the Marauder's map he got from Fred and George. Wow, Fred and George, such nice blokes. So it's just a good (laughs) way of wrapping it all up and showing that Harry is better with the people that are around him. And I think it casts a light on this chapter of being like, he's going to be with his people. Like, we want to see Harry get to be with the kind of people that would give him these gifts because the Dursleys just ain't that. I will say I do like the fact that James, Sirius, and then it's Fred and George that are mentioned because the comparisons between them oh, is often that's very so uh, similar in terms of their behavior. Although I'm not sure... Well, would James and Sirius have done what Fred and George? Well, let's call out Fred. I, I don't know who, which one is more like Fred. James, probably. James, yeah. Wow, I wasn't expecting to draw that comparison. Like, which specific James and Sirius is which Weasley? Yeah, I think it works. If it were Snape, they would. Uh, but if it were anyone else, they wouldn't <laughs> oh. do the same thing. Chloe is po- pointing out that Sirius almost killed Snape. Yeah. So, was... so maybe he's more like Fred. <laughs> I was sitting here thinking the same thing that it was maybe it was maybe more of a serious comparison. Yeah. I mean, the only thing holding James back would be that Lily would never talk to him again if he hurt Snape. So maybe it is serious. Well, it's an interesting thought experiment. 
So the other big question I kind of have about this chapter is the use of magic in Privet Drive, because it's been determined before in these books that magic done in this muggle home is Harry's fault. That's what happens with Dobby and the hover charm in book two. And so everything from the blowing the uh, fireplace out to having to fix Dudley's tongue, the ministry would be on them like flies on you know what about all of this underage magic all of a sudden happening because the trace is flawed and you can't really tell who does the magic. Anyway, the ministry would be here in seconds, I think. Doesn't the ministry have the ability to detect if someone of age is present at the time of the magic being used? Because I feel like we've seen other examples of magic being used at number four that came from adult wizards. Like Dumbledore definitely uses magic at number four. Well, it's possible that's a plot hole too when Dumbledore does it because in book seven, during the seven potters, Moody tells Harry that's why they have to take the Polyjuice Potion because it will set off the trace and the ministry will know where they are uh, if they detect magic at Privet Drive. Yeah, it is so interesting because we know that the ministry doesn't pick up on Dobby because they don't consider non-human magical beings, I think, worth the while to have on their radar. But Still seems Harry, like an oversight. Well, when yeah. Harry does when Harry does the Patronus charm next book is when the whole trial and court date yeah. and all that other crap happens. And that's so like but, in that case, it is Harry casting the spell. And by the way, with the context of Fantastic Beasts, the movie series, mm. it seems all the more strange that they don't track magic coming out of creatures. Now, I know Newt is a special case because he's walking around with his suitcase and has a lot of creatures that he can take out or, you know, he's he's like he's trying to meet creatures, beasts. But still, it's like, you know, they can cause trouble. So it's good to track them just in case they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Privet Drive in and of itself is a special muggle location. I feel like don't tell Vernon that. Well, I mean, it, it probably <laughs> has its own room at the ministry where people are constantly monitoring what's going on there because Harry lives there. Don't tell Vernon that. I I, Well, you know what? Tough. But the other thing that came to mind for me in particular, number one, Arthur is a ministry official. So I'm sure that if a ministry official is performing magic in a muggle residence, it's somewhat permissible, but also Mm -hmm. layer onto the fact that he works for the misuse of muggle artifacts office. So presumably he would be using magic in muggle homes quite often. So I don't think that it would necessarily raise too many flags. That's a good point. I wonder if it, if it does have to do with that. Arthur also got the private drive fireplace hooked up to the flu network, which is not particularly legal. He says, um, you know, d- did that same person give like a blanket, you know, magic may happen. We're going to, you know, kind of mute notifications for <laughs> magic at this sector uh, for the next, you know, hour or so. Uh, Focus mode on the iPhone. Yeah. So, well, that explains why the uh, court date and all that doesn't happen for Harry. This book, we'll get it next year. The question that I have, so here's also the sticking point as far as uh, Arthur standing up to 
Vernon, and despite everything that's happened already, uh, Arthur still demands that Vernon say goodbye to the boy and says, you're not yeah. going to see him until next year. And this is a moment where we really actually kind of fall in love with Arthur all over again, right? It's like, yeah, it, he's clearly on the wrong foot so far, but Arthur doesn't care. He knows that the right thing to do would be to say good boy, good, good, good boy, goodbye to your nephew. Goodbye and good boy. Yeah, I thought this was a really powerful moment, how Arthur is standing up to Vernon. And it's it almost comes off like he's speaking out of turn just because they don't know each other. Yeah. Um, like if you tried to imagine like your own father saying this to somebody else. I don't know. This is. Yeah. Or your own. Your fr- I don't it's a it's a unique situation for Harry but it it's it's very forward it's not something I think you would see coming and I love Harry's thought process during this moment too just being like he you know what it's fine I don't care let's just get out of here this has already been enough yeah. of a moment like Harry's not looking for that because he also doesn't need that from Vernon yeah he's kind of selling himself short on that he's like I don't expect them to ever do the right thing around me it's like, let's move on. You're fighting a losing battle. If the Dursleys were to say none of your business, they'd kind of be right to Arthur, but they don't yeah. know that he's also kind of the surrogate father, you know, that Harry never, never had. I think it's a shame that Arthur does never get to actually learn about electricity. He's excited <laughs> about the plugs again. You know, he never, he never would have, um, he never got to kind of learn how any it works. So, I want to could tell him. I mean, he's been living true. there. He could fill him in yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. But if things had gone a little better, which we're going to talk about in a minute, what about the Dursleys' appliances, electronics, do we think Arthur would have really liked the most? I think he'd be super interested in how cable television works, right? So... He would he would understand the apparatus and how it connects to an electrical outlet to get power. But how are you getting all these programs on here? How is this transmitted? And pictures. Where is it coming from? Arthur Weasley couch potato in the making. (laughs) It's also an interesting question because you have to assume the Dursley's home isn't particularly exciting. Yeah. With peace and love, I say to my grandparents, their house is boring. Like there's a television. (laughs) There's a phone. There's not much else going on. They have an electric fireplace, too, by the way. I don't think it's because, like, somebody tried to come through the fireplace <laughs> via the food network. But It is a perfect comparison. Your grandparents' house growing up is the Dursley's house in these books. Is like, yeah, yeah. there's electric, so like, but there's <laughs> nothing else. Right. So I think of the television that my grandfather has up way too loud at his old age, but, you know, he can't hear. Um, and then I'm thinking maybe the phone. If Dudley hadn't thrown the PlayStation out the window, then maybe he'd be interested in the PlayStation and Mega Mutilation 3. Anything else electronic. But again, I just don't think they have much electronic in the house or cool. (laughs) I'll say as a kid, I loved going to my grandparents' house. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For for me, it was always really fun. I mean, it was a chill time and it got good natural light. I'll say some... some (laughs) Sunlight was very much the highlight of my grandparents' house visits, actually. Oh. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't like my grandparents' house. I'm just saying it's the Dursley's house. Yeah. I, think I, I understand what you're saying. If Arthur had shown up in the quote unquote right way, 
I could see him being fascinated with the doorbell and just standing there, Aww. pushing it constantly. Aww. That could be cool. Yeah. All right. It's time for what if. I said at the start of our list of offenses segment that it should have been Molly and Arthur who show up. So I'm asking the question now, what if, what if only Molly and Arthur Weasley showed up to take Harry back to the borough? So you have his surrogate parents and his guardians meeting. Would it have improved relations between the two? Would they have been okay and maybe improved been able to see each other in the future in an amicable way besties coming over for poker (laughs) night yeah different (laughs) different separate and different yeah i feel like because we got arthur to show up there was a lot of interaction between him and vernon we don't see really any interaction between arthur and petunia she's very much hiding behind vernon and then of course once dudley has his tongue enlarged, she's focused totally on him. I think it would be interesting to see what kind of dynamic would have existed between Molly and Petunia. I I wonder if you would have got the not my Harry you bitch (laughs) earlier on in the uh, story than we get uh, in Deathly Hallows, but I feel like she could have given it to Petunia for the way Harry's been treated. She would have. I love this idea of Molly as a more volatile Arthur. Like it's just like every, it's like just very worse, very, very much worse. The the forcing Vernon to say goodbye to the boy, Molly would have like made them hug or some bullshit. You know, like it just would have been awful. I wonder if she would have brought knitted sweaters for, for them. Oh, wait, 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 wait! There's an example where she gift. could show up. Yeah, yeah, a gift. What a great idea that I think Molly might be capable of thinking about. You know, like of actually thinking of and and bringing up if they had showed up on time, if they didn't have to blast the fireplace in, um, you know, to do it. I think there was a potential there for the two to get along, you know, a little friction. Sure, sure, sure. But I think that they're both adults. It's not it's not that the it's not that Molly and Arthur are criminally unlikable by muggles maybe these muggles but i think molly and arthur are generally good people it's their kids you got to worry about marty their kids <laughs> i would have just preferred molly and arthur knocking on the front door ringing the doorbell once maybe twice because that would have tickled arthur i don't think there's any hope here honestly i think i think vernon would have been ticked off if they showed up on the doorstep ringing the doorbell because of how they looked right there yeah. there was no oh, way right. that the weasleys could have arrived here and met vernon and petunia's standards because vernon and petunia are already predisposed to hate them on the basis of right. them being wizards so there i think there was nothing they could have done what right what if what if they went to target <laughs> ahead of time and bought some oh, average target. muggle clothes would they know how to wear them? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- think about some of the examples we hear about wizards trying to, you know, don muggle attire for the first time. We see it at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. Gentlemen wearing the the long nightgown, which there's nothing wrong with it. But it's very clear that he he's like very enamored with this idea. And he talks about liking a healthy breeze around his privates. Like, he like. 
there's just a degree to which I think the Weasleys do not know enough about muggles to be able to meet the Dursley standards. Laura, I just had an idea for you. So on our other podcast, Millennial, you and Pam picked a wardrobe for me because I hate shopping. Yes. You can go wherever you want online, ASOS, H&M, whatever, and find outfits for Arthur and Molly. Muggle outfits. That's a good idea. Oh, man. Yeah. Maybe that's a bonus we can do for the end of the year. Fun idea. (laughs) Like styling the Weasleys in muggle clothes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I will bring up that in this chapter, you know, while we're on the subject of fashion, Vernon tells Harry, I've seen what you people wear. (laughs) You know, Uh, he's referring to the first chapter of the first book of Harry Potter, throwback to Sorcerer's Stone, when he's just going to work. The day after Voldemort's fall, so November 1st of, you know, nine uh, of 80. And he is clearly so scarred by this little man in a cloak that comes up to him and says, oh, muggles like you should be happy. That Vernon 14 years later or 13 years later is is still like that man. His fashion sucked (laughs) like to Harry be like, you people don't dress properly. So you're right. I think, Laura, although we don't assign winners in what if, I completely agree that it it might just be an impossible situation and that they never could get along. Yeah, the Dursleys just aren't reachable. And I think that's it, right, Laura? Kind of to the point that you raised earlier, there's nothing that Arthur can do that is going to please the Dursleys. It's just he it's it's a no win situation. If things had gone differently, we would just be having a different conversation about how the Dursleys are just so prejudiced and biased against the wizarding world. So one on an end, I just wanted to bring up because I know we talked about it in the previous chapter and we kind of talked about it in, in this discussion with with Dudley and his addiction to sweets. In particular, there's some fat shaming going on as it relates to Vernon because he is referenced as being an enraged hippo at one point in this chapter. I think it's when the ornament's starting to fly. But I mean, that's pretty strong comparison on the part of the author to reference Vernon as a hippo. Yeah, and we see this a lot with the Dursleys in this book. I mean last chapter or the last episode, you know, the chapters we were talking about referred to Dudley as being roughly the size and shape of a, of a baby, baby killer whale, killer whale. Yeah. Um, there's that. And then in this chapter, there's lots of, um, descriptions of Dudley clutching his fat bottom, um, to try and shield it from, you know, a potential round two of the pigtail. And the pigtail itself is, is a reference. Yeah. Right. It a hundred percent. There's also this moment where Dudley tries to hide behind Vernon, but even Vernon is not large enough to completely shield Dudley from view. So yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot of this happening in the chapter. And again, thinking about it in the context of the time. I, I remember reading this and just feeling like the the whole chapter was so comical and it is really interesting to think about it in the context of 
current days and also through the through the lens of an adult because this is never something that I think an adult would think was funny. And now it's time for MVP of the week. And you know what? I didn't think I'd be saying this ever. I'm going to give it to Dudley because he's taking a lot of crap on Fairly. And you know what? He deserves a treat and a sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it to the implied Reparo charm uh, that Arthur needs to use in overdrive to fix the mess he and his family have made and repair muggle relations. Well, speaking of that, I'm going to give mine to Arthur for sticking up for Harry and really observing how abnormal and childish and rude it is for his adult caretakers to not wish him a happy school year. And I'm going to give it to the Dursley's living room because it just didn't sign up for this. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my favorite one ever. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone to mugglecast at gmail.com. Or you can use our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. That said, we would prefer the voice memos because they are of higher clarity. And next week will be our Quizage Live episode. Wow, already. It's going to be in place of a normal episode. And you can test your skills as they pertain to owls and Halloween. And then the following week, bring your pink cardigans and cozy up. (laughs) Who wrote this? To an all-girls muggle cast. And then regular chapter-by-chapter segments return November 14th. At our new Thursday night time slot, November 9th on NBC. Wow. TGIT. That's 9, 8 central. (laughs) On NBC. And now it's time for Quizzitch. Last week's question, what does Arthur Weasley ask Dudley Dursley? And the correct answer is, are you having a nice holiday, Dudley? And how is your summer? Correct answers were submitted. Here we go. Bye, Dumbledorky Porky Dorks. Hi to my Ravenclaw husband. Andrew's frustration at increasingly unhinged names. (laughs) (laughs) Justice for Winky. I am actually a Gryffindor rarer. Some terrific radiant humble Dudley mega mutilation parts one and two. <laughs> Eric, I am definitely not your father. Oh, great master <laughs> of the universe. Bestow me upon me quizich answers. I think of parrots, a flimsy substandard cauldron bottom and a suspicious looking rug. Laura, the master of the universe, has gone to the side of the trash pandas. Percy <laughs> accidentally flew powdering to number four private drive in Ohio. And... <laughs> Three more. Andrew, the undercover Harry Potter store worker hacker. Uh, Raven Kell and Julia, the 36-year-old. Shout out to being 36. Yeah, okay. keep them coming, y'all. I love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, here is next week's question. In honor of this past chapter, Back to the Burrow, how many times did Harry physically visit the Burrow? During the seven book Harry Potter series. Count them up. You got three weeks for this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you want to do a reread of the seven Harry Potter books, go ahead. Um, submit your answer to us on the Quizich uh, form on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or click on Quizich from the top of the main nav. 
Do you enjoy MuggleCast? Do you think other muggles would too? Tell a friend about the show. We would also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, don't forget, we couldn't do this show without your support on Patreon and through Apple Podcasts. Visit patreon.com to support the show financially, and you'll receive early access to the show, ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, yearly physical gifts, and so much more. Whether you pledge through Patreon or Apple Podcasts, we do have free trials and annual subscriptions available. And one more reminder, Eric just mentioned it. Visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, the quizage form, and to contact us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.